Cam. Welcome back to another episode of This Might Be Helpful, and I sincerely hope that it is. I will let you be the judge of that, though. As an old Chinese proverb and an old Chinese farmer in that proverb once said, maybe. I've been thinking lately, as I do, about the perpetual emotional turbulence we experience with every flick of our thumb on social media. I think that it might be fraying the nerves of an already dysregulated nervous system, lowering the baseline of contentment and raising the threshold of our pleasures, leaving us oscillating somewhere between the two. When I first got on Facebook to play Farmville with my friends, I saw videos of people getting decapitated. I wasn't looking. Swipe, wholesome boy loves corn. Swipe, man on a jetpack. Hmm. Swipe, Exxon is mining oil off the Great Australia Bight. The whales are dying. People are drinking flammable tap water. Monocrop agriculture has ripped the soul from our soil and everything that feeds us will one day feed on us as the dust storms of the apocalypse blot out the sun. A small group of goblins plot for profits. Empires fall and rent is really expensive. But do not cast aside your hope. Life finds a way. You are here. You are alive. There are mountains to climb and rivers to float, people to love and be loved in turn. There are books to read, stories to tell, words to write, questions to ask. The future is uncertain, as the nature of reality. And the future in our minds can be uncertain too. But those of you hearing this, we will make good decisions. The world is changing and we will change with it. It's natural and normal and healthy to be scared. But the sun will come up again. Breathing in, I calm my body. And breathing out, I smile. Breathing in, I fill with vitality. Breathing out, I am at peace. It's been a busy few weeks. I'm not sure what's been going on in your lives, but I assume it's been equally frantic and equally chaotic because everybody is living a life as complex and nuanced and intricate and deep and emotional and scary as everyone else. The human experience has got more similarities than differences. And that's what we're going to be speaking about today. What I've been going through, some of the emotional turbulence that I've been experiencing, and some of the things that I've implemented to adjust, to recalibrate, to find center, to find that peaceful neutrality that allows you to go through life being the path of least resistance. And that path of least resistance does not mean avoiding resistance. It usually means going through it, having the uncomfortable conversations, doing the uncomfortable thing. Life can be very uncomfortable, but it becomes more comfortable when we make uncomfortable choices because everything is paradoxical. Isn't that great? Everything is paradoxical. The more we try and hold on to time, the faster it slips through our fingers. The more desperate we are for love, the further away we are from what we are and why we are. But through neutrality, we can see the edge of the paradoxes and we can create our own path in the middle. So that's obviously been a few days since I released the podcast and I thank you for your patience. I 
I'm not going to overly dramatize the last few weeks, but they have been challenging. It's been a period of character development and not inflicted by any kind of external circumstance, but mostly due to the trials and tribulations of being a human being, being alive, figuring things out. If you don't know the way to go, then create your own way, but it takes some serious trial and error to find that. So, as you may know, I've lived between two countries for most of my life now. I've actually spent more time in Australia than I have in the United States. So over half my life I've been in Australia. And I'm used to going back and forth. I've been on hundreds of planes by now. I look at the 40-hour journey from Victoria, Australia to Montana in the United States is pretty easy, to be honest. People go, oh my God, 40 hours of travel, that's absurd. Yeah, but if this was 60, 80, 100 years ago, I would have been going by boat and that would have taken much longer. So the fact that I can hop on a plane, travel 948 kilometers an hour and wake up in a different country is not anything to complain about. But something that I have always found challenging is the reintegration into the lifestyle and mental context of each environment. When I got back to the States this summer, it had been a few years since I'd been there, and I slipped into this historical context of mind where I felt like a child again. And it was good. The pendulum swings. Finding balance sometimes just means going with that swing and understanding that it'll swing back to center at some point and then it'll keep swinging. But when I was in the States, I spent my time getting dirty. I spent my time in the sun, floating in the rivers, walking in the forest, honestly, abandoning a lot of my responsibilities. Maybe I won't say abandoning, allowing some of my responsibilities to slide so that I could trade that for presence. And I was present this summer. And there's sometimes there's a cost to these things, and I'll get into that cost in a moment, but my travels in the States were deeply restorative in many ways, enlightening in many ways, recalibrating in many ways. But then I came back to Australia, and I was ambitious and excited and ready to hit the ground running, and then I landed, and I didn't know which direction to run in. Didn't know where to go. Didn't know what I was doing. And I often don't. And I hope I don't portray some kind of absolute certainty with my path and direction in life, because it is not like that. It's not like that whatsoever. And on a day-to-day -day basis, recently I found myself adapting to each day rather than having anything planned and structured. And as somebody that is neurodivergent, which many of us are, probably many of the people listening to this podcast too, we know that structure is good and it's about establishing compassionate structures. Not structure for the sake of rigidity and certainty, but gentle parameters that allow us to tap into our potential because planning is very powerful 
knowing what you're going to do tomorrow reduces the decision fatigue of figuring out what you're going to do on that day. Because every micro every micro decision about what you're doing, where you're going, who you're speaking to, how are you going to tackle the tasks that you have and the order in which you'll do them, that takes willpower. And willpower is a finite resource. So when I landed, I experienced some tremendous anxiety, really, really physical anxiety. And for some of us that have heightened interoception, which is the awareness and perception of what is going on within your body. If you can sit there right now and you can count your heartbeat without actually feeling your pulse, you can just feel it in your chest, then you likely have high levels of interoception. When you have a moment of anxiety and you feel that burst of cortisol and adrenaline in your chest, that is interoception. And interoception is heightened with anxiety as well, which is why some people that are naturally uh, more excitable with their nervous systems than others sometimes don't respond well to THC because THC enhances that interoception. And then you can fixate on that heartbeat. Oh my goodness, it's beating out of my chest. Am I going to have a heart attack? Am I going to be the first person in the world that's ever overdosed on THC and died? No, you aren't. Your brain will alert you to that danger and it might do such a good job at that that it convinces you that you're dying, but you're not. This too shall pass. It is all temporary. It is all fleeting. And we can find solace and comfort within that. Understanding that how you feel and the reality that you predict when you are in an anxious state of mind is not true. You have to learn to trust yourself but you also have to learn to not trust the thoughts that your mind projects when you are in a negative headspace because those thoughts are not true and feelings are not facts. So we have to work on finding that middle ground and implementing tools to recalibrate. Some of my anxiety was related to more tangible things like financial responsibilities and I'm practicing honest, transparent vulnerability right now. And it can be uncomfortable, but I think that when you can be vulnerable in a considerate way, a thoughtful way, it creates space for you to feel what you're feeling. It allows you to glean insights and perspectives from the other people around you, which is very important, very powerful, a shift in the way that you are viewing something but it's not always easy to be transparent and to be vulnerable, especially when it's to do with things like finances. I've always been very good at generating money. Never had an issue with making it. Um, I do have a habit of commoditizing things that I love because why not? If I'm going to make money and play the game of society, then I'm going to do it with things that I enjoy. It started off with busking and getting gigs playing music. And then yeah, I went into photography. I went to study photography at university first. And then I was like, hang on, I don't need anybody to teach me how to take photos. If I can just go take photos, I got a digital camera. I can take 10,000 photos in a session if I want. And statistically, I'm going to have a couple of bangers in there. 
And then I thought, all right, well, if the world really does head in the direction that it might head at any moment, then I'm going to want some kind of tangible skill behind me. Because if the dust storms of the apocalypse do blot out the sun, then people aren't going to be paying for photos, are they? But they'll need nurses. And I love helping people, so I'll go and do nursing. But I'll combine it with my love of travel and my love of photography. Maybe I'll be a travel adventure photographer nurse. That makes sense. And then somehow I found out a way to commoditize my passion for plant medicine and cannabis. And what I'm saying here is that you can do anything that you want to do. You can follow your organic enthusiasm. I have disregarded a lot of the sage wisdom and counsel I've received over the years about what I should do with my life and how I should do that. When I graduated nursing, they said, you must go do a grad year. You've got to go consolidate your skills in the hospital. And of course, that makes total sense. But I had an opportunity to go do something else. And so I decided to do that instead. So I've never had an issue with generating income. It's always come to me fairly easily. I have had challenges with maintaining it. Largely because I don't care. And I'm working on that. I do care in the sense that Obviously, you have to pay your bills and put food on the table, but a lot of my monetary ambitions are related to the people around me. When I think about generating income, I think about what I can do with that, and what I can do with that is take my buddies traveling. I can take them out to dinner. I can spend time with people. I can use money as a tool to interface with reality in different ways. But in order to do that, you need to learn how to manage these things. And so my travels in the States, I really disregarded a lot of my responsibilities to be present. And because of that, I let some things slip. And then coming back here, hit the ground running, and I just ran straight into stress and anxiety. So the things I did to move through that. Firstly, I had to take a good look at my life, do a bit of an audit. What is draining my energy? What things do I engage in that hamper my momentum? What things can I do to mitigate that? First, it was being patient with yourself, speaking to yourself with compassion and kindness and grace, speaking to the self gracefully, understanding that I've been doing the best that I can and you can be your best self and still have off days. You want to do your best each day, but doing your best is relative to where your baseline is on that day. Sometimes your best is getting up and going for a run and doing a good yoga session, writing out your thoughts, doing a meditation, starting your day with vigor and passion and enthusiasm. And sometimes your best is taking yourself out for a meal, going to grab lunch, getting a smoothie. And we should use these tools. We should use what we have available to us to mitigate our circumstance by flowing with how we feel. So when you are stuck in a rut, first, just embrace the rut for a little while. Create some breathing room for yourself. Allow yourself to be patient in the way that you approach things. Move a little slower with your day. Bring a little bit more intention into the activities you engage in that make you feel good. And ask yourself, what is my state of mind if I were to rate it out of 10? 
10 being the best mood ever and zero being very low. You might say, that's three out of 10. And your mind will instantly want to fixate on the seven out of 10 that you don't have. And that's where modern medicine is really kind of shit the bed, in my opinion, is that they go, all right, you're only at a three out of 10. That's, we'll try and do something about that. And you should, but I think that you should do something about that by focusing on the three out of 10 that you do have. Because why isn't it zero? All right, your mental health is three out of 10. Why isn't it zero? What makes up that three? Focus on that and do more of that. When we're in a rut, don't focus on everything that you don't have. Focus on what you do have and give more attention to those things. Because if they are a source of energy, then there's more energy to be gleaned out of those things. And you can do that by really savoring them. If the three out of 10 that you have is comprised of your dog who loves you, spend more attention on your dog. Teach you some new tricks. Go on some different walks. Really savor the wonderful relationship that occurs between man and animal. If part of that three is food, spend more attention on that. Cook yourself some nice meals. Take yourself out for dinner. Savor every bite. Draw as much from that present moment, from that experience as you can. Disregard your predictions of the future. Disregard your regrets from the past. And be in that moment practicing mindful eating. If part of that three is just sunshine, focus on the sunshine. Make sure that when you wake up, you get vitamin D. There might be a chill in the air, there might be a brisk wind, but take your shirt off. Allow those photons to enter your skin and fill you with vitality. Spend more time focusing on what you do have and use the energy that you get from those things, the momentum, and bring it into further establishing the rest of that scale. It comes through patience and it comes through engaging. And really, happiness does come through engaging in things. So first I was patient, I was calm, I was, sorry, I wasn't calm, I practiced calm, and you can practice calm. And of course I had some fraudulent imposter syndrome thoughts that were coming along with that because I had just launched my consultation options, Becoming Calmer, in which people can come and speak to me and we'll look at what's going on, focus on the good aspects, and learn how to implement some tools that are framed around that individual's needs, that individual's goals, whether it's learning how to meditate, whether it's finding different avenues for discomfort that you know perpetuate and foster and facilitate that personal growth. The combination of neuroscience and ancient philosophies and how we integrate all of those into our existence so that we can interface with reality in a more pleasurable way. Because through calmness, we do find strength. The closer we come to a calm mind, the closer we come to our strength. So I had some imposter thoughts around that because how can I possibly discuss this with other people when I don't feel calm myself? When I don't feel like I'm grounded, when I don't feel like I'm centered? And you have to move through those thoughts because I wouldn't be here if I wasn't supposed to be here. And the imposter syndrome really just means that you know enough to know how much more there is to know. And that keeps you humble. It keeps you in a state of receptivity, a fertile mind that is ready to plant new seeds and, and grow those seeds, tend to the garden of the inner kingdom so that we can walk through it 
and enjoy our time there. Enjoy our time in solitude. Enjoy our time in silence because silence is not the absence of everything. It's the presence of everything. So once I could move through some of that anxiety, then I started to implement things. I thought, all right, well, historically, you've had a little bit of a stress response to financial worries. So what if you can turn that on its head? Instead of getting cortisol from it, you can get dopamine from it. And we can do this by reframing the computations of our supercomputer mind. So instead of asking yourself, what's the worst that can happen? What's the best that can come from this? How is this the best thing that has ever happened to me? Okay, well, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me because it is enlightening me to some patterns in my thoughts and behavior that can be adjusted. And it's easier to modulate an existing pattern than it is to create a new one entirely. And so we use our patterns of thought, find a little opportunity for shifting that thought pattern and then continually reframe that perspective so that your computer engages in positive predictions because dopamine is all about motivation it is about motiv motivating us to pursue something in the external and that comes from anticipation anxiety and excitement are both anticipatory mechanisms they anticipate danger they anticipate reward Anxiety and excitement both share the same neurochemical makeup. Some cortisol, some glutamate, some acetylcholine, some adrenaline, a little bit of dopamine. There's more dopamine in excitement than there is in anxiety, but the frameworks are very similar for both of them. And so you can manually recalibrate your thoughts, think in a different direction, and you will end up generating more dopamine from those thoughts. It's just the wonderful neuroscience of this existence. But there's no point in just changing the thoughts if you don't follow up with actions. So I was working on my self-talk around how I discuss finances. Instead of saying I suck with managing money, I'll say historically I've found managing money to be challenging, but it is exposing opportunities for growth along the way. And then with that opportunity for growth, I took that and asked for help. I asked for help. I reached out to a couple of friends. They sent me the names of their accountants. They sent me the names of their financial advisors. I set up meetings. I had discussions. Turns out my situation wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was because I was catastrophizing things. But they go, you're not in debt. You don't have any loans. Just some simple readjustments and a better system for organizing things and you're good to go. And so that comes back to that perspective. If you can speak to another individual and they can expose you to a different way of thinking, it gets you out of your own head. It starts to dismantle this vast world of terror and anxiety and angst and replaces it with one of hopeful optimism, one of neutrality, one of you are fine. You can make some simple alterations here and there and you can actually remove this stress from your life and Discussing finances will actually be a source of dopamine rather than a source of anxiety. So that is the more tangible aspect of you know, making changes to make you feel better. And the other things that I implemented were getting back to my meditation routine. Every single day at 3 p.m., my brain just goes, all right, it's time to go meditate. And I go and meditate. 
I find my little spot on the deck. I hope that there's a little bit of sunshine. If there isn't, that's okay. There's a really wonderful sensation that occurs when I go outside and meditate and it's cloudy and overcast. And I always take my shirt off because vitamin D and getting to as natural of a state as I can. And then once in a while, there'll be a break in the clouds and that sun will just pour its warmth over you. And I'm getting goosebumps right now thinking about it. It's such a nourishing feeling that that contrast of the brisk wind and the cloud-covered sky and just spots of sunlight breaking through to nourish you. And that contrast is really how we see the beauty in life. And yes, it's cliche and it's also very paradoxical. You wouldn't have night without day. You can't have sky without ground. You cannot have rain without clouds. And everything is a combination of everything. I look at the paper right next to me and all the thoughts that I've written on it. This paper wouldn't exist without the clouds because without the clouds, we wouldn't have rain. Without the rain, we wouldn't grow the trees. Without the trees, we wouldn't have the paper. Without the lumberjack that chopped down that tree and the paper mill he brought it to, we wouldn't have this paper. Without the lumberjack's parents who fed him or her and nursed them and took care of them, we wouldn't have this paper. Everything is a combination of everything. Nothing works in isolation. The other thing I do is get ritualistic. Greet your day with grace. It might seem ridiculous, but if you can bring this element of honor and respect into your morning, you establish a pretty awesome day for yourself. I will wake up, put on my robe, and I will go straight outside and I will look at the sun. And I will just stand there and allow my body to wake up. And as that sun comes in, as those wavelengths, those electromagnetic frequencies enter our eyes, it clears out adenosine. Adenosine is a enzyme that we produce when we sleep to help us digest. It's also responsible for feeling lethargic and a little bit tired. Sunlight helps to clear adenosine out from your system. So does movement, any kind of warmth that is generated from within. This doesn't mean a hot shower, unfortunately, because again, paradoxes occur, whether they are metaphysical and philosophical or whether they are neurobiological. A hot shower means that your body has to respond and adapt to that heat, and it does that by dumping the heat from within. So it cools the inside of your body to accommodate for the heat on the outside. So conversely, having a cold shower will warm you up more because in an effort to maintain homeostasis, your body will dump the cool and maintain that inner warmth to accommodate for the external cold. So we use these paradoxes to our advantage. So to clear out adenosine, to get our body moving, to wake it up, we want to have heat generated from within. And the best thing you can possibly do is move. Movement is medicine. It is mindful medicine. And I'm not saying you have to go to the gym and hire a personal trainer and make a commitment to doing five days per week. I want you to make it easy before you make it hard. I want you to choose things that are achievable, attainable, realistic, things that make you feel good. And you cannot always 
allow how you feel to dictate what you do. And something that I've used to move through that, to embrace the discomfort, to go towards the resistance is instead of thinking, what do I want to do now, dependent on how I feel, and instead reframe it to what would my future self want me to do right now? What would my future self be saying to me if he was in my shoes? And he'd say, get up. You've had your time. You've had your time to sit and wallow and lament and indulge in that melancholic melody. And now it is time to get up and move. Now it is time to be responsible. Now it is time to establish some structure and routine so that you can achieve the things that you want to achieve so that you can get a podcast out on a regular basis because I am devoted to this. And reframing some of the language that we use is I've been swapping the word discipline for devotion because devotion to me creates more space. It's softer. It's more gentle. It still is powerful, but it leaves room for inconsistency. And inconsistency isn't a habit that I am professing right now. It's not a recommendation, but it is part of reality. Inconsistency and uncertainty are just fundamental aspects of our universe, fundamental aspects of us. And if we can roll through those inconsistencies and the incongruent nature of trying to maintain rigidity within a world of perpetual chaos, and we can embrace some of those inconsistencies without getting too stuck in our head about it, without adding an additional layer of suffering on top, then we essentially just operate in more compassion towards ourself. So identify areas of life that you're engaging in or not engaging in that are hindering your happiness. Procrastination for me can hinder my happiness, but sometimes it's good to reframe that. If you are procrastinating by doing things that you want to do or doing things that you think you should do, procrastination might be folding the laundry, doing the dishes, cleaning the house. That's not really procrastination. You're still getting stuff done. And if you can savor, really savor the moment of doing whatever you're doing in procrastination, air quotes, you can draw more energy from those things and carry that as momentum into doing the things that you've been procrastinating on. So if you procrastinate by scrolling on your phone for a little while, then at least enjoy it, at least be present, at least be mindful of the content that you're consuming, use it as a, an aspect of knowledge and gaining wisdom and gaining insight. If you are procrastinating by watching Netflix, then put your phone away and just watch Netflix. Just be present. Just get as much as you can from the projection of art that those people have created for you and use that energy and carry it on to the things that you've been, air quotes, procrastinating on. If you procrastinate by reading your book, if you procrastinate by playing music, if you procrastinate by playing your dog, then any time that is, air quotes, wasted that you enjoy isn't wasted time. So if you are going to, air quotes, procrastinate, enjoy it. Get as much from it as you possibly can. Another area that is draining is obsessing over the future, worrying over the future. No amount of anxiety will change the future. No amount of regret will change the past. Another energy drainer is social media when not used mindfully. If you don't know why you're using your phone, it is using you. So practice 
a healthy relationship, establish control over the situation. And when you use social media, be mindful of the content that you consume so that it is helping you rather than hindering you. There's no point in looking at something that takes you away from where your feet are, convinces you that you don't have anything that you want and hides everything that you do have already. Another energy drainer is bad sleep. You got to sleep. Sleep is the most powerful nootropic. It is the most powerful medicine. It is the most powerful restoration. There is no getting around the power of sleep. Without it, we simply are not as good as we can be. We do not feel as good as we could feel. Another energy drainer is negative self-talk. If you find yourself speaking negatively to the self about the self, it will dictate your perception of self. And from that perception of self, that is how you dictate the external world. If you don't like how you're thinking and feeling, then you're not going to enjoy the reality that you are interfacing with. So you must work on the self-talk. You must voice counterpoints and objections to the automatic thoughts that come up that keep you down. Identify areas where you can shift the narrative because it is all just a story and you as a conscious sentient being get to shift that trajectory whenever you want. And yes, it's not easy and sometimes it feels silly, but whatever is repeated is etched into the nervous system to make it easier to repeat in the future. So those are some things that drain your energy. Now, some more might be needing to look a certain way. Doesn't matter feels good to look good. That's a fact. I think that if you're walking out of the house and you really are anxious about what you're wearing, go and change it. There's no point in bringing that level of, you know, self-perceived anxiety into your day when you can just negate it by wearing something else. But it doesn't matter because everybody's thinking about what you're thinking about them. Nobody's looking at what you're wearing and judging you for it. They just aren't. They're too busy getting wrapped up in their own minds and their own heads and their own fears and their own perceptions. Letting the fear control you, that's another energy drainer. If you can't beat the fear, just do it scared. You absolutely can. How you feel does not need to dictate what you do and how you do it. No physical activity, that's an energy drainer. And I know it's difficult to move your body when you don't have the energy, but we are hand crank generators. Once you start cranking over the machine that is you, you will find that within you, there is a lot of energy, more than you could possibly use in a day. So in order to crank that thing over, just start moving a little bit. Enjoy the discomfort and some of the suffering that comes from it and realize that that is all going into making you feel better. Paradoxes, uncomfortable decisions and actions create a comfortable life. Expecting others to bring you happiness, that'll hinder your happiness because if all of your happiness is dependent on some kind of external factor, then it is not happiness. It's a hostage situation because you are not in control of it. You are a slave to their perceptions and their projections, and nobody should want that. Being narrow-minded, of course, although I don't think anybody listening to this podcast is narrow-minded, especially if you've made it to, what, we're at minute 35 right now. If you've stuck through with this meandering, chaotic, jumble of words, then you're at least open-minded enough to see that there might be something to glean, if only your own insights into my own weird patterns of thought and behavior. Now, we know what drains energy, so what creates it? How do we curate the vibe? Everything is vibes. All around us, there's a vibe, there's a vibe, here's a vibe, there's a vibe. 
So if you wake up in a weird vibe, then you got to recalibrate and you got to do things that curate the vibe, manicure the vibe, fine tuning. You pick up a guitar and it's out of tune. Whatever you play is going to sound wonky, but if you take a few moments to tune those strings, find the frequency that you want to sit in, then you are curating the vibe. That comes through self-awareness. Realize when you wake up in the morning, where is my tension? This morning I woke up and my shoulders were sore, my back was tight, and my hips were tight. And so I focused on those areas of my body. I woke up and I did my yoga. I yoga with Adrian. Oh, she's just the best. She's a boss. I've been doing yoga with Adrian for like, I want to say like eight years. So I focused on my shoulders and my neck and my hips and my back. And once I did that, there was tension that consolidated, maybe thoughts, maybe anxiety that consolidated and tight muscles. And I moved through that and I loosened up, created an element of fluidity in my day that comes through self-awareness, both that interoception, understanding what's going on in your body and the exteroception, what you can do with your environment to help you move through that. Meditation curates the vibe. Nurturing your passions curates the vibe. So focusing on the three out of 10, if it is that, and doing more of that, giving more attention to the things that make you happy. Nurturing your passions. Absorbing sunlight curates the vibe. Non-attachment to thoughts curates the vibe. Practicing gratitude curates the vibe. I don't care how bad you feel. I mean, I do. I do care. What I meant to say is no matter how bad you feel, if you list off five things that you are grateful for and five people that are grateful for you, you just will feel better. You will. Maybe only minutely better, maybe moderately better, maybe much better. But practicing gratitude and forcing yourself to list five things that you are grateful for and five people that are grateful for you shifts the computations of your supercomputer to start predicting things in a more positive trajectory. And it curates the vibe. Being in nature curates the vibe. Getting your feet dirty curates the vibe. Walking on grass curates the vibe. Listening to the birds curates the vibe. Visualizing your highest self, your future self, the self that figures it all out curates the vibe. Acting in accordance with that self's standards and devotions curates the vibe. Acting in accordance with the self you want to be curates the vibe. So, when you're feeling frustrated, ask yourself, do I have needs that are not being met? Ask yourself, have boundaries been crossed that I can change by speaking transparently and being true to my word? Ask yourself, am I tolerating more than, my than I can handle? What can I do to take some things off my plate? What can I do to reduce the burden on our supercomputer by automating things and making decisions in advance so that I don't have to do them when I feel flat and low? Ask yourself, what can I do right now to make myself feel better? And then act with the intention of nourishing and loving yourself and remove the expectation of what those things should do. Because there will be times where you do all the right things. There will be times where you follow the routine and you exercise and you have a good breakfast and you write in your journal and you still get to 10 a.m. and you go, fuck, it didn't work. Why do I feel like this? Because we've become attached to how we think we should feel. We've become attached to an outcome that 
we think should have been generated through the actions that we've done. And more often than not, you will feel better if you do those things. You will certainly feel better than you would have felt if you hadn't done those things. But ask yourself, what can I do right now to make myself feel better? And then go do some of those things. Do it because you should enjoy being alive. You should enjoy being you. Nothing else really matters. You can be your best self and still have off days and the sun will rise again tomorrow. I love you. I will leave you. I will be back soon. In terms of the next few weeks, boy, oh boy, it's going to be a big one. Um, I am moving up to far north Queensland, moving up to Cairns. We are going to buy a house, my fiance and I. And oh my goodness, she's incredible. Um, as I said, I haven't been the one that manages money. I can generate it pretty well, but I'm making changes and alterations and, and structures and routines that allow me to be far more present in that aspect of our life. But my goodness, she is just like a hustler. She saved for a deposit on the house while she was doing her honors of psychology. I don't know what kind of psycho can actually do that, but she can. And then she bought a block of land and sold it. And now she's created a incredible stepping stone for us to go up and live in a different place. And historically, I've never been one to vibe the dense tropics. I've always found myself to be very uncomfortable in those environments, particularly in the Daintree Rainforest. It's the world's oldest rainforest, 180 million years of uninterrupted growth and decay and growth and decay and growth and decay. And I'm looking forward to the discomfort because I know that it will grow me. I know that I will step into a new version of self when I approach things that historically have scared me. And I learn how to adapt and find comfort and solace and peace within that chaos. So that's what we're doing right now. I'm selling everything that I own because I really don't need anything. I'm bringing up a couple of my instruments, uh, my bike. I'm leaving my surfboards in Victoria because there's no surf up there. And when I get up there, I am excited to immerse myself completely in the environment. I will be getting into canyoning, more rock climbing, some spear fishing, tapping into that hunter-gatherer primal instinct that we all have and actually you know, developing the skills to take care of myself in a tangible way, in a way that isn't going to a grocery store and getting meat wrapped in plastic. I'll be rafting, getting into the white water up there, and I will be getting into the community. I can't wait to arrive and collaborate and really contribute to a new area. I will also be speaking at the Astrid Assembly, which is a cannabis event in Melbourne on October 1st. I will be doing more podcasts, more lives, and uh, more consultations. So if you would like to work one-on-one -on -one with me, you can check the link in my bio. I think it's stan.store slash Cameron Rosin. But you know where to find that stuff. And I will be selling terpenes. I got a bunch of new stuff back in stock, and I am excited about life. So thank you for being with me this entire time, 44 minutes. Let's go, baby. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave me a review. They go a long way in getting this show off the ground. And who knows, maybe we'll monetize it someday so that I can afford to spend multiple hours a week just talking into a microphone. As long as people are listening, I'll 
I'll keep talking. Wouldn't be here without you. You are the key to it all. I love you. I'll leave you. Bye.